Get to know one another. Jeff is bringing up the rear. So real quickly, a couple of other things is this final last introduction there. Um, I do want to just echo what Jojo said. The fellowship sign-up is out. The sign-up for the fellowship's in the foyer. You know, we've stacked them back-to-back by accident. That kind of falls on me. I was trying to make dinners happen on fourth or fifth Sundays. Fifth Sundays were just not landing where they needed to land for us. So we kind of pulled off of that. Uh, so we've got the, um, a, a Thanksgiving um, fellowship, Thanksgiving theme fellowship next week. There's sign-ups in the foyer. The sign-up really helps our kitchen team to, uh, to know that they've got everything prepared or, you know, the right amount of food or the types of food. I want to say a special God bless you to Sister Della Batters and all that have served on a kitchen team, whether it be decor or serving I mean, they're putting a lot of hours in. You start stacking those, those, those fellowship meals back to back, you're putting a lot of hours in, and we greatly appreciate it. They're really doing it with excellence and making it look great back there for us. And so that's a good place to say amen. One last thing, I'm going to make a little, um, I don't know what the word is here, but I'll just tell you, so the, uh, the, the uh, Heber Springs or Cleveland County Christian School, school what is y'all's official name? Heber Christian School is doing a fundraiser, and y'all know that we are really um, behind them and their effort, what they're making, and for uh, Dylan and Julie and their uh, their leadership for the school. So if you see them, Sister Julie on the front, or any of their students, they've got something that could benefit your life after a service when you don't want to eat heavy and you want to eat light, like popcorn. There'll be something that you can swap for that popcorn that will help them uh, do what they're doing out there. Amen? So turn with me in the book of Exodus. God bless you, and thank you again to every person, a visitor. If you're here among us, I can't apologize for taking the 10 or 15-minute window. It's probably a little bit longer. And I did. I, I, we do have talkers in the church, you know, and that's a good thing, you know. So we build relationships. So uh, it, the line was moving a little bit slower there today, but that's okay. Because we want people to know one another and fellowship and learn. Um, I'm telling you, lifetime relationships are formed in the church. All right, now. Exodus chapter number 29, we're going to leave you seated for just a little while, and then we're going to stand in honor of Scripture, only on one verse of Scripture, if you'll give me a little bit of, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to change off on some of the reading of the text, because it's going to take too long, and I don't want to do that, but I'll, I'll let you look at it, and then I might glean just real quickly, but it's in Exodus chapter number 29, we're going to read verses 42 through 46, it says, this shall be a continual burnt offering throughout your generations at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation before the Lord. Read these words, where I will meet with you to speak there unto thee. And there I will meet with the children of Israel. And the tabernacle shall be sanctified by my glory. You missed a great place to say amen. That's a good place to say amen. I will sanctify the tabernacle of the congregation and the altar, and I will sanctify also both Aaron and his sons to minister to me in the priest's office. And I will dwell among the children of Israel and will be their God. That's good, isn't it? And they shall know that I am the Lord their God that brought them forth out of the land of Egypt, that I may dwell among them. I am the Lord their God. So let's pause quickly. Um, obviously, I'm picking up a sermon series that I was forced to pause, to, to push the pause button on because of the events that took place in um, the, the state of Israel with the attacks. And I addressed that for two weeks from the pulpit and then last week's message being on pastor appreciation. But I want to get back to this because my heart is tied to this. I really believe the Lord is adding his blessing to it. And I'm probably more excited about today's message. Now, I intended to read, while you were seated, the entirety of the 40th chapter and just let you read that with me. But I'm not going to for the sake of time now. But I want you to glean it with me briefly, just kind of see. Because what's happening here, the Lord gives the instruction to Moses to build or to have built 
and then to erect the tabernacle, what we know as the tabernacle, uh, which was the, 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 the transitionary means of worship. And I'm going to highlight those here in just a little bit for the children of Israel during the wilderness journey and beyond, even into the first three and 400 years of their occupation of the promised land. Verse chapter 40 is when those instruments, including the tabernacle itself, have been built. Uh, skillful hands have gone into this of tapestry and of uh, the working of metals and of wood and uh, just the, the, the particular furniture that was being built. And so you can kind of just see that if you've got a Bible, I don't have to read it all, but you can just kind of glean it with me. We're going to just jump to the end. I'll pick up a verse or two towards the end here in just a moment. And, and so, it like, but in the ninth verse, they took the anointing oil, and they anointed the vessels, but they also anointed the tabernacle, and they hallowed it, and it was holy. I love that, that ninth verse, it shall be holy. And then, again, from there, the vessels were sanctified and set apart. Then we see, like in the 13th verse, we see kind of just for sake of time, only gleaning. Now Aaron and the sons of Aaron, they were, they were called and set apart, anointed. For, for ministry. And it says in the 16th verse, Moses did according to all that the Lord had commanded him. And then, and then it says in the, in the first month, in the second year, that they, in the first month that the tabernacle was reared up. So it was actually set up there in the wilderness. And so they, they didn't carry any of this with them when they came out of Egypt, just the resources, just the, the things amongst their own personal belongings that they had, that these were the, these were the materials that were chosen to to, to build this tabernacle with. And so uh, then we see the furniture. So we'll, we'll move on for the sake of time here real quickly. And let's pick it up about the, uh, the, the 32nd verse. So let's pick it up here. When they, when they went into the tent of the congregation, and when they came near into the altar, they washed as the Lord commanded Moses. And he reared up, 33rd verse, the court round about the tabernacle and the altar, and he set up the hanging of the court gates. So Moses finished the work. So the entirety... Of this was finished, and uh, let, let me just pause real quickly. Go ahead. And, can we jump to our picture real quick, Lori? If I can, so just we'll give you a quick picture image of it. You, many of you have heard teaching on it. This is not a teaching about the individual instruments of the tabernacle, but just so you can kind of see it. I know you can't see it that good without our screens. We're in the process of deciding what we're going to do with this, but you can probably see it enough. But there, in the very center of the there was that outer courtyard area of curtains, and there would be what we call the tabernacle there. The, the things around the side here are the instruments, including the priest and the Levite that was used to minister in the tabernacle. Many of you that have been around the church very long at all, you've been taught these things. Entire series have been preached, but just for that mental image, that was the, the context of what we just read. That was, this, that was what was erected in the wilderness. Then a cloud covered the tent of the congregation. So, so when he finished the work, read this, let me back up slowly, the 34th verse. Then a cloud covered the tent of the congregation, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Now, come on, isn't that beautiful? And Moses was not able to enter into the tent of the congregation because the cloud abode thereon, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. That's beautiful. That's a powerful word for us. And when the cloud was taken up from over the tabernacle, the children of Israel went onward in all their journeys. But if the cloud were not taken up, then, the, then they journeyed not until the day that it was taken up. For the cloud of the Lord was upon the tabernacle by day, and fire was on it by night, in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. This is that powerful. One verse of Scripture. Stand, if you would, in honor of reading this today. Acts chapter number 7. Stephen is preaching. And in this sermon that he preaches before the Sanhedrin in Jerusalem, a sermon that would ultimately cost him his life for his reproof of the stiff-necked, uncircumcised, and heart men of that culture within Israel. But I want to back up and extract one verse, because he's telling a narrative which is similar to the narrative that I've been telling you over these many weeks. It says in the 38th verse, and we're reading this in the context of, and, and I'll, I'll address it, and I'll, I'll allude to it, but I'm using King James English. If you don't have a King James Bible, it may read differently than this. This is he that was in the church in the wilderness 
with the angel which spake to him in the Mount, in the Mount Sinai and with our fathers who receive the lively oracles to give unto us. So I've been preaching a series that was under the context of the word of faith, but I kind of found myself angling a particular direction. And there's where I, here's where I am today. I want to talk to you about the church in the wilderness. That's what's on my heart. I think it's a critical day for our church family. I want you to see what I see. I want you to hear what I hear. I believe if you do, you'll be as excited today as at any other time in the history of this church family because we're going to believe that God is faithful. He's a faithful God. The church in the wilderness. Let's pray and see what the Lord's got to say to us today. Father, I humble myself amongst my church family. I feel so, Father, privileged to be here, to stand on this platform, to have hugged the neck or shaken the hand of someone that I care deeply for, Father, and God, and to, but to integrate them into this church, this assembly of believers, Father. God, as, as it said in the book of Esther, they have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Father God, I pray, Lord, that even now, with whatever emotion that we're dealing with at different levels, no matter what we're going on, what's going on in life, I'm going to pray that the breath of God, I'm going to pray that the glory of God, I'm going to pray that the very cloud that hovered over that tabernacle of old, that somehow, some way, in this generation, we can experience the glory of God in this church. Because in one sense, we're still the church in the wilderness. So God, we love you today. We thank you. Make, let preaching come easy in this house. Come on, somebody. Let preaching come easy in this room today. God, in Jesus' name, and all God's children said. So many, many weeks ago, I commenced with a sermon series in the context of the word of faith. I made some strong statements in this journey. I made this, some strong statements that was a reproof to my own heart. It's slightly contentious. I wanted to challenge unbelief in my heart. I extracted the title from that familiar now to a passage of Scripture in Romans chapter 10. I have given them on the screen. They're going to post these. These are the verses of Scripture that we started this journey on. I want to reiterate these with you today. Romans chapter number 10, verse number 8. The writer Paul says here, But what saith it? The word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth, and it is in thy heart. Right? And in thy heart, that is the word of faith, which we preach. The word of faith. Hopefully today and every time that we come together, the ministry of the word that's brought to you is the word of faith. That the things that are spoken, that are spoken from the conviction of the heart of the minister that brings them to you, will stir and agitate faith that's in your heart to believe the word that's spoken. Come on, somebody. That's the equation. So I've walked you through this. But now, in that context, I have drifted a little bit from where I originally intended, but I believe it was the Lord that was directing me along this journey. For I found myself, as I was ministering the word of faith, going back in time, going back to ancient Israel in the time of the Exodus. And then I just, I, I'm reminded of this promise in Romans chapter 15. I've re read this with you for the entirety of this sermon series, verse number 4. He says, whatsoever things were written aforetime, so I want you to think, I want you to shut off Fox News, and God forbid that you watch CNN News, and shut off all of that, and, and that you say, you know what, it's not about anything going on, but right here, right now, that, that the things that were written time were written for my learning, for you, right here today, that it was written for your learning, so that you, through the patience and comfort of the Scriptures, that no matter what's going on in life, you can have hope. That's what the promise of the good word of God is. So lastly, so then everything. He said, whatsoever things. Well, there was a lot written aforetime. There was a lot from Genesis 1 to Malachi 4 that he's referencing. But we see the apostle narrow it to a particular context in 1 Corinthians using almost the same wording. And that's what I hope to do here for a moment. So we're going to read this 11th verse. It's become familiar to many of you. He's saying, now all these things happened unto them for examples. We pause. Who was the them? The them was the children of Israel in Egyptian bondage brought out by the hand of God. Paul addresses that in the narrative in verses 1 through 10. I'm only going to focus. These things were written, notice this, for our admonition. For you're not. What's admonition? It's our learning with the warning. So you warn and you learn at the same time. 
upon whom the ends of the world are come. Upon whom? So now if Paul is writing this 2,000 years ago, and as he's writing this to the generation in which he's living, and there's some measure of conviction of his heart about the ends of the world, how much more imperative is it for us to look back and glean from what took place in the past so that we could have comfort in the generation in which we live? I know that the Bible tells us that the hearts of men will fail because of fear, but it doesn't have to be yours. Your heart can be established in grace and faith, and you can trust the Lord. So I want to retrace, because it's been a month since I have been on this subject with you. I'm not going to go back and preach it all. It's going to be a brief narrative, but I want to put you in the mindset of where I took you. I took you, I took you to the banks of the Nile River, in which a couple by the name of Amram and Jochebed took a child that they had hid for three months from Pharaoh's army who was going through the land of Goshen where the Hebrews, the descendants of Jacob, had dwelt for hundreds of years. And the Pharaoh's army was slaughtering the, the young boys, the baby boys. They were even telling the midwives to kill them upon birth if it was a girl to allow them to live. And Jochebed hid her son because she saw something in him, divine. There was a revelation to her that this is no ordinary child. And so she made sure, with risk of life, she hid him as long as she could. But then when she could no longer hide him, what did she do? She placed him in a basket of bulrushes, a bulrush basket, and she put him in the Nile River in a place where Pharaoh's daughter would come down to wash. And that baby was discovered. That baby was Moses, for it means he was drawn out of the water. And you know and I know that he was raised in Egyptian household as a royal prince to the Pharaoh of Egypt, or what we would call the king of Egypt. But on a particular moment, when he was 40 years of age, he discovers that he's actually a Hebrew. What an enlightening moment that was for him, when that he came to the realization that he was not actually, by genealogy, a descendant of Pharaoh, but he was a descendant of the slaves that were serving Pharaoh, and he had to come to terms with this, and in the process of coming to terms with this, he felt like he was a deliverer for the people, and he sought to stand between the people and oppression, and ultimately, in doing so, he was thrust away, and he was thrust away to the backside of the Midian Desert, where he dwelt there for 40 years, where all hopes and dreams he had ever harbored in his heart and mind seemed to be lost in obscurity, but on a faithful day, when he was keeping his father-in-law's sheep on the backside of what we call Midian, he comes to a particular mountain and he sees something that catches his attention. And there catching his attention is a bush that burned that was not consumed. And there as he was drawn near to it, he began to hear something amazing. An audible voice begins to speak to him out of the bush and he discovers that the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has not forgotten the people of Israel and God has come down to them now to deliver them from their oppression. And Moses is called of God to abandon Midian and to return from where he had fled from 40 years earlier and to bring the people what? A word of faith. How beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel. Right? You needed a word of faith today, and I brought you a word of faith. You're going to, by the time this service is over, you're going to identify with this sermon content. And so Moses then goes back to the land of Egypt. I preach that story with a little bit of humor along the way to the best of my ability. And I imagine, I, I, I try to imagine the moment and uh, even evangelize that moment if I can. And so he uses Aaron, his brother, as his orator who speaks for him. And, and the Bible says that God makes Moses like a God to, 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 to Pharaoh. And, and so, but there's immediate conflict and resistance, and it ultimately ends with the plagues, the ten plagues, and the final judgment that God promises that's going to come upon the people of the land of Egypt, but not only the people of the land of Egypt, but also the good land of Goshen. Remember, go back to those messages. On the night that the death angel was going to pass through the land, the final judgment that was going to happen upon the Egyptian people, that same death angel passed through the land of Goshen where the children of Israel dwelt. But there was one thing that made the difference. There was one thing that made the difference and protected the people of Israel from suffering the same judgment that happened to the people of Egypt. And it's because 
They had taken a Passover lamb, an innocent lamb, initiating what we call substitution, and they took the blood of that animal and they put it on their doorpost and their lintel, and the Bible plainly says that when the death angel passed through that night, he saw the blood and he passed over them, glory to God. And I preached two sermons back to back about the blood of Jesus, and one was entitled, The Blood Makes the Difference. And you know, it's been about six to eight weeks since then. I want you to know today, nothing's changed. The blood still makes the difference today. And the enemy is defeated at the power of the blood of Christ. Come on, somebody. Amen. So it's all symbolic. It's typology. I can't go into all this. Israel was delivered from Egypt. They took their journey. They were hedged in at the Red Sea. How many of you know God will take you to uncomfortable places so that he can reveal his power? But he can also demand of you something. What is that faith? He will take you to an uncomfortable place to extract from you what's in your heart. Are you going to believe him or not? Are you going to put him at his word and trust him to do and to be what he said he would? And he brought Israel to the edge of the Red Sea and to only be followed by the Egyptian armies. But there on a faithful day, Moses, the man of God, took the rod that was in his hand, stretched it out. And a strong east wind began to blow and the waters parted, the left hand, the right hand. And two million men, women, boys, and girls crossed over on dry land because of the power of Almighty God. And you know what? It was a fulfillment of a prophetic word. A nation was born in a day. And the children of Israel were brought out of an Egyptian bondage. So, but they were brought to the Mount that same mount that Moses had discovered or had, had, had been encountered the presence of God, Mount Sinai. And there on Mount Sinai, which is one of my favorite sermons to preach, the glory of the Almighty God came down. It was awesome to behold. The children of Israel were so overwhelmed by the presence of God that was hid in the thunderings and the lightnings and the mountain quaking that they hid their faces from it. The sovereign, awesome presence of an invisible God who's chosen to reveal himself And I don't want you to judge them too harshly because had you been standing there that day, you may have hid your face as well because so awesome was the presence of God. But they heard something on that fateful day. They heard the authoritative word of God. They heard God speak what we call what? The, oh, Lord, I failed. I failed. They heard the Ten Commandments so that when Moses would later come down from the mount and God would have scripted them on stone, that the, what was written equated to and was exact to what was spoken. Come on, somebody. And that's how, even to this day, we have holy writ. It was prophetically spoken and then scripted. And as it is scripted, what was spoken is the same as what is written. Come on, somebody. Amen. I can't go there, but I preach myself happy when I talk about that because I believe in the Word of God. And so, as after 40 days, Moses being up on the mountain, the people have corrupted themselves with sensual idolatry and the, and, the, and the forming and the fashioning of a golden calf. And I even address this. Moses returns, breaks the tablets, intercedes for the people, and he goes back up into the presence of God, and there the Lord is merciful. How many of you know that God is merciful? And God is gracious because of the mediation of Moses, because God had even threatened to destroy the entirety of the nation and take Moses and make an entire lineage of people out of him. But Moses in his passion and compassion for the people because it's not just Moses. Moses is representing somebody. Don't forget that. We'll come back to that in the end of this sermon in a moment of time. And he prays to God, and God is merciful, and God restores the covenant, and God promises that he's going to dwell among them. And we were reading a little bit of that there in the book of Exodus. And so previously, about Sinai, when God had given instruction for Moses to give to the people, the things that had been written at that time, up to that time, were things about behavior. It was about relationship. It was about their citizenship, about their responsibility, how they related to one another and how that they related to God. But now, in the context of what I had you read or at least glean, Moses receives instruction for this, to receive offerings from the people that would include gold and silver, but also tapestry and fabric and wood, things of which that chosen men that had skillful hands, men and women, I'm certain as well, would come together and they would form what we put on the screen, the tabernacle. If I'd have taken you farther in the book of Acts, the writer there said it was the tabernacle of witness. 
originally there, the writer in the book of Acts says it was the church in the wilderness. Now let me go ahead and make this. So the church in the wilderness, it was not just the fabric tent and it distinct from the people, and it wasn't just the people distinct from the fabric tent. In essence, what I'm talking about by saying the church in the wilderness, I'm talking about people accessing God through the means of the fabric tent, the tabernacle in the wilderness. Let me stay with you for a little bit, or stay with me for just a little bit. God set apart, in those texts we read, a priesthood. Did he not? He set them apart. Precepts, instruments, materials, structure, access points, coverings, all related to, and this right here, all to empower the church and the wilderness to do one thing, to worship the living God. The church in the wilderness was given an access point to the presence of Almighty God. It would be mobile. It would be transitionary. I'll talk about that in a moment. It was not always at a fixed locality. One thing was beautiful. It was set apart by the glory of God. It wasn't just the anointing oil that set it apart. God's presence sanctified the tabernacle. At that time, the children of Israel had only known the presence of God upon Mount Sinai. But God has now said that I'm going to move from Mount Sinai where Moses has met with me for at least 80 days. And wherever you go, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to dwell right in the midst of you. What a promise that God was making. It was a meeting place. It was shrouding the presence of God. It would be a comfort to the people. Wouldn't it be a comfort to you? On the one picture that we had, the very first one, if you'd look closely, you would have seen the individual tents because the people literally encamped around the tabernacle. The tabernacle was a comfort to the people, and the people would be given an opportunity to petition God by means of the means of worship provided for in the tabernacle. They would learn over the next several weeks and months about substitution and sacrifice. They would learn about priestly mediation. The people could worship the one and the living true God. Come on. There's still a desire in the hearts of humans to worship. They just don't know the one true living God. But God had chosen to reveal himself through the tabernacle. People could have their sins atoned for. I don't know about you, but there's none righteous, no, not one. And all we like sheep have gone astray. And the people even of that generation needed their sins atoned for. They could receive mercy and forgiveness. They could hear the word. They could commune with God. They could pray at the tabernacle. Some of the most powerful prayers in all the word of God are recorded at the tabernacle. One of the most famous of all, I didn't put it in my notes, but it's in my heart, was when a woman with a barren womb by the name of Hannah, who didn't have a child, went to the tabernacle. And she fell down and she cried out to a living God. And she was so moved that her mouth moved But she uttered no words, and the priests could not hear or understand anything that she was saying. But there was a God in heaven that had revealed his presence and that he was seated amongst the people in the tabernacle that he could see into the very recesses of her soul. And God spoke a prophetic word through the priest, and she later, within one year, had a child. So some of the most powerful things could happen at the church in the wilderness. All the while they could journey from the Egyptian servanthood to eventually becoming possessors of the divine promised land that we call Canaan's land. The beauty of the tabernacle was this, that at the time that the tabernacle was set up, they didn't have to call the leaders from the denomination to come and dedicate it. God said, I'll dedicate it. I'll dedicate it by my presence. God said, I'll dedicate it with my glory. Moses, when the glory of God set on the tabernacle, Moses couldn't even enter. He couldn't throw the the tent door or the curtain back and enter into the holy place because of the glory of God. The cloud was present. The people recognized the holy presence of God. Just the name tabernacle. So it, it was the tabernacle. They were the Hebrews. They were the church in the wilderness. It wasn't one without the other. It was both, if you will, in the context of which I am speaking here today. So I do believe, so now that you've got this mental image in your mind, and you're here today, on what is today, November 5th, 2023, and you've come to our church at a pivotal time in the history of our church, and the pastor stands in front of you, and I begin to address you by speaking about things that were written long years ago. Not only were they written long years ago, they happened long years ago. And I came along to tell you, though it happened long years ago, it's just as relevant to us today as it was to them. It's just, and if we'll see it in the right lens. 
So you would say, Pastor Brown, what can we learn? Because that's what the Word said. All these things were written for your learning so that you would get out your pen, you would put your glasses on if you need them to, you'd get your concordance. That's what people that don't understand that they used to have Blue Letter Bible and Google searches in a book. And you had to turn the pages to try to find a word. And you would look and you would read and you would search it out. He said all these things are written so that you can learn. And by learning, you can gain hope and comfort through the scriptures that in uncertain times uh, there will be something that's always present among you, my presence in the church in the wilderness. So i got a few things, not many today. I'm going to drop down in your heart. I told myself not to preach long today, but I usually lie to myself. Number one, what can we learn about the, tab- or the church in the wilderness? Number one is this. Corporate worship should be central to your life. So now listen, we're looking back, but we're looking to us right now. And it's a picture image of things that God wants us to see and to hear. So the children of Israel, during that transitionary time of, their mo- of moving in the wilderness and even into possessing the promised land, that the tabernacle would be central, central to who they are. I want you to know today there is something that needs to shift in where we arrived in the American church. We've allowed everything else. I'm preaching better than y'all shouting, but I'm preaching to myself as well to you. We've allowed everything else to be the center of our life other than the house of God. We make excuse after excuse after excuse. Our activities, our interests. Our volunteerism, all that, all those things are good. But I want you to know, I believe that corporate worship should be the central part of your energy, of your passion, of your loyalty, and your commitment. Let me just tell you, corporate worship is distinct from devotion. Corporate worship is distinct from your personal evangelism. Corporate worship is distinct from you being benevolent and crossing the street and being kind to your neighbor and taking them soup when they're sick. That's all good. That's, those are, that's the fruit of the Spirit working in your life. But corporate worship is when we can say, as David said in one of the most famous of Psalms, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go up into the house of the Lord. For when the tribes of the Lord come together, I have devotion. I have time alone with God. I pray at home. I worship. But I want you to know that God has called me to build my life around this thing called worship. Where we come together with other men and women of like precious faith. And we begin to reprioritize our lives and put a value to this that's greater than the things that are around us. Everything around us is fleeting. Everything around us, one day you're going to look up and you're going to say, man, I used to sow everything that I am into that, and now it doesn't mean anything to me. But he means everything. Come on, somebody. So I, I believe for us a word that we can learn from the church in the wilderness is that corporate worship needs to be central. And, you better, and I'm getting ready to challenge myself, but I'm getting ready to challenge you as your pastor because I believe that the best is yet to come. But if we don't return... If this doesn't become a principle of faith deeply embedded in your spirit, we'll be nothing more than sounding brass and a tinkling cymbal. The old adage will be white noise in the background. That's all the church will be. So it's going to take a work of grace in our heart and minds. Come on. It's getting better. Stay with me. This is one of my words here real quick. Number two, corporate worship is many faceted. Now, I know before some of you former English teachers began to criticize and be critical of Pastor Brown's, number one, if if that's you, you're going to be agitated the rest of your time here. So you just got to come to terms with this, because I know you're saying it should be multifaceted. But actually, see, it's kind of extracted from a King James word, manifold. Many of you think manifold, and that's on your car, but manifold means many-sided. And many-faceted means this, having many different aspects or features. So the old tabernacle in the wilderness had many features. Certainly there was a lot of things that were central, uh, that was a part of it. But there was the altar, there was the sacrifice, 
There was a labor. There was cleansing. There was incense. There was praise. There was bread. There was showbread. There was the lampstand. There was the illumination. There was the golden altar inside the holy place. There was the veil. There was the ark. There was the mercy. There was the mediation and the communion and the fellowship. All and on. Later, they added trumpets. When the worship began to really take off at the tabernacle, they began to appoint singers and priests and Levites, and they added song, and there was fire, and there was meat offering, and there was meal offering, and there's thank offering, and there's sin offering, and on and on and on and I want to go back to the first point and the central part of our life should be worship that we literally build our life around worship and our interaction with the people of God the point I'm going to make here very quickly is that in corporate worship it's many faceted and that means all of us may not be drawn to the same part of it and all of us may not be gifted in the same area but it doesn't matter it's all a part of the whole Come on, somebody, it's all a part of the whole. And so some of you that are, that are really fellowship-oriented people, you're like, I can't wait to get to church because my brother and my sister, I need their warmth, I need their love, I need their handshake. Others of you are drawn to worship, and you cannot wait for them to strike the first chord so that you can lift your hands upward and you can be able to sing in the presence of Almighty God, not just off of uh, Alexa turning on something on your, at your house and you're hearing something. No, it's live in person with warm bodies, gifted and yielded unto God. Some of you can't wait. Others of you can't wait to get here because this is a house of prayer to you and you're going to intercede and you're going to bind devils and pull down strongholds and you're going to stand in the gap and make up the hedge and others of you are benevolent you can't wait to be able to give and bring your offering before the Lord some of you love to teach and you love to hear the word of God you can't wait for Sunday school to get started and even a few among you can't wait for what was the formerly skinny preacher to stand in front of you and minister the word of God it doesn't matter about what you're drawn to it's all a part of the whole and it's all necessary for church to be good. And I'm telling you, the church in the wilderness can have the anointing of God upon it. It can have the presence of God. While you worship, what moves you, what inspires you, what compels you, there are thousands of reasons that we could come together. But it doesn't matter. It's many-faceted. It's a, it's a part of corporate worship. You just do your thing. Come on, somebody. Just add your agreement. Bring the best of all that you are to the church in the wilderness. I told the membership while ago, and you heard me say it, this church will be as good and as strong as you make it. Number three today, and there's only four, and I know it's a shock to you because you have 17. This is a very important one. Corporate worship must be transitional. Now, let me just go ahead and tell you today. 20 years ago when Al Gore first discovered the internet, so you could, you could Google search transition. So for me, immediately transition, to me, from that culture, is transition basketball. Just be honest, I got my basketball and football players here on the right. So I'll just tell you, so when I was playing basketball, Josiah, if I got a steal, I wasn't waiting for, the other, for our offense to catch up. If I got a steal, I'm taking it to the other end. So we called that transition basketball because we went from defense to offense like that, right there. That was the culture in which I, so transition to me was the first transition basketball. Today, if you top in transition, <laughs> so, so got to be careful. I'm just warning you. So if you're taking my sermon, I'm going to go and I'm going to find out, I'm going to add to Pastor Brown, transition. You may see things and hear things and read things that have no part of my sermon today, Okay. What do I mean by being transitionary or transitional? It means it's got to be movable. It's got to be mobile. It was an aspect of the tabernacle that allowed the people to do this. Catch these words. To follow God. Whatever we do, we have to be in pursuit of Him. And God is on the move. Come on, somebody. God is on the, on the move. God was leading by an angel. He was leading who? The people. And when the glory of God rested, the people rested. And when God moved, the people moved. Right? That's a part of the church in the wilderness. I want to go ahead and show you this one more time. Last verses of Scripture. Is, I, I believe in it enough. I want you to read it a little bit more, uh, to, to be a little bit more uh, depth than what was read in Exodus. Let's go ahead and read it because I'm nearing the end of this sermon here today. 
but let's go to Numbers chapter number 9. Let's just read this because it's a big part. of There's four points here today that I want you to walk out of here and say the church in the wilderness. The church in the wilderness, I want you to remember it. I want you to know that worship should be central as a part of your life, that it's a part of what God's called us to do, to build our lives, to be the church, and to build our lives around corporate worship, to be involved. And it's many faceted. There's just so much that we can add to it, but it's also mobile. So pick this up with me and read in the 15th verse. Remember, this was written... For us to learn from. On the day the tabernacle was reared up, the cloud covered the tabernacle, the tent of the testimony. And at evening there was upon the tabernacle, as it were, the appearance of fire until the morning. And so it was always the cloud covered it by day and the appearance of fire by night. And when the cloud was taken up from the tabernacle, then after that the children of Israel journeyed. And in the place where the cloud abode, there the children of Israel pitched their tents. At the commandment of the Lord, the children of Israel journeyed. And at the commandment of the Lord, they pitched. As long as the cloud abode on the tabernacle, they rested in their tents. But when the cloud tarried long upon the tabernacle many days, then the children of Israel kept the charge of the Lord and journeyed not. And so it was that when the cloud was a few days upon the tabernacle, according to the commandment of the Lord, they abode in their tents. And according to the commandment of the Lord, they journeyed. And so it was when the cloud abode from evening unto the morning that the cloud was taken up in the morning. And then they journeyed, whether it's by day or by night that the cloud was taken up, they journeyed. Last two verses. And whether it were two days or a month or a year that the cloud tarried upon the tabernacle, remaining thereon, the children of Israel abode in their tents and journeyed not. But when it was taken up, they journeyed. And at the commandment of the Lord, they rested in the tent. And at the commandment of the Lord, they journeyed. They kept the charge of the Lord at the commandment of the Lord by the hand of Moses. Come on, isn't that a powerful prophetic word that we look back in ancient days that God said that it's okay to have seasons of rest. It's it's okay to stop and pause. As long as my presence has paused right here, then you don't take a step forward. Right? You stay where the presence of God is. But when the glory of God moves, this is what's happened to church after church after church. This is why there's a demise of the church in the American culture. It's because God's moving and we ain't following. Right? And I want to be honest that there have been times, and I can be honest, in my spirit as I was praying about this, I said, you know what? As I said, we've camped here too long. We've camped in a particular mindset, a different way, and a means, and a thought process as a church, as First Assembly. I might not be speaking to the entirety of the church. I'm speaking to this church family. We've camped here too long, and the glory of God's headed down the road, and we're abiding in tents. And I think I hear the Spirit of God telling us, it's time to pull up the stake. It's time to take down the curtain. It's time to follow the cloud. I want to go where He wants us to go. I want to be who He's called us to be, and I want this church to do what God's called us to do. And whatever we got to lay aside, whatever we got to move beyond to follow after the glory of God, then let's do it because only then can we truly be the church in the wilderness. Because the church in the wilderness was marked by something. It was marked by the glory of God. Did you know there are churches in this community that I could preach that message to about experiencing the glory of God and they would not have a clue to what I'm talking about. But you and I know that the presence of God can be just as real in our generation as it was when the children of Israel were camped and a cloud was by day and a fire lit the night sky. You and I can have the presence of Almighty God that when our heart is set after Him and we are passionately in pursuit of Him and we've laid aside our busy schedules and we reprioritized ourselves and we put worship and our commitment to the Lord and to the house of God as the center of who we are. I want you to know I believe that when we come together, the church in the wilderness, in the power of the Spirit, the Spirit of the living God will be here among us and we can behold His glory and we can see His beauty and we can declare to a lost and dying world of the love of Almighty God revealed through the person of Jesus Christ. And I know that what I'm preaching about is a little bit of typology using the church in the wilderness, but it is relevant for us today. 
God's on the move, and if we're not careful, we'll be left behind. So I'm telling you, I told the membership class, I'm challenging myself to change what I need to change, to address the weaknesses of my heart and the weaknesses of my flesh. Remember what Jesus said to his disciples? He, he asked one, he said this, he said, could you not watch with me for one hour? One hour. And what did he say? He said, the spirit is willing, but your flesh is weak. And our flesh will dominate us if we allow it. But I tell you what, I'm at the place where I say, God, I want his best. Not just for me and my family, but for you and your family. And I want it to be for this community. I believe God's calls upon Hebrew First Assembly to be a bright and shining light in this community because we understand the presence of God. We long for it. We know God dwells in our heart. God dwells in our heart by faith. We know that. But when we come together in a corporate worship environment, there is a promise in the Word of God where two or three are gathered together. What did he say? There am I in the midst of you. Lastly today, lastly, corporate worship should reveal Christ. Come on, let me say corporate worship. This is not for you. This is for him. We want to reveal him. We want everything that we do, everything in our heart is that Christ might be glorified in us. Do you believe that? Everything. Christ Jesus, the Lord of glory, the living God revealed in the person of Christ. So let me take this to a close for you today, if I can. So let's, let's, let's put this together, if I can, for a moment of time. Moses gives the children of Israel very strict instruction about instruments of furniture, including a fabric, including curtains, including knobs, and, and rings, and everything, and staves, all these things that together, once it's folded together, it becomes the tabernacle of witness that allows the people of God to worship, kind of grouped together, calling it the church in the wilderness. Now, there is a particular type of study in the body of Christ called, or in the church, a little bit of theology called typology. That what we have learned from reading the New Testament, that there were things written aforetime that's called this, types. It was a type of something. It was a picture that God was giving us for thousands of years so that when the anti-type or the fulfillment of it comes forward, you can say, if this ain't the first time it was here, it was always here. Let me give you an example of it before I bring this to a close real quickly. In the, in the book of John, chapter number 8, Jesus said these words. He said, your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day. He saw it and was glad. When did he see that day? He saw that day when he was on a mount called Mount Moriah, where he had gone to sacrifice under temptation his son. And with his hand high in the air, he was to take a dagger and to slay his son when the Lord stopped him from heaven. And the Bible says that Abraham lifted up his eyes and he saw a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And it was in that moment that Abraham saw Christ. Because that ram caught in a thicket by his horns represented the day that Jesus Christ pillowed his head on a cross on the very same mountainous region, the mountains of Moriah, by a crown of thorns that was piercing his brow. It's called typology. That The ram was a type of Christ who was the anti-type who fulfilled it. Well, there's probably no greater type in the Old Testament than the tabernacle that reveals to us the person of Jesus Christ. It's too many to share, but I got to tell you about it as I close today that the church in the wilderness, the church in the wilderness will bring the glory of Christ. It will reveal the glory of Christ. Corporate worship will reveal Christ. There's too many to share, but let me go ahead and throw these out in closing so that you'll know it. Some of the instruments was the brazen altar because there on the altar, sacrifice was made. I don't know about you, but Christ is my sacrifice. He's my substitution for my sin. There the next instrument was the laver, and there the priest would wash. Now, did you know that you and I are washed by the washing of the water of the word of Almighty God? Did you? And how many of you know the word is Christ? Right? The Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Inside the holy place was the candlestick. Did you know He is the light of the world? 
Did you know that there was a table of showbread where the priest would bring hot bread each day? He's still the true bread from heaven. Glory to God. I don't know about you. Every time I preach his word, I'm breaking bread with you in this house today. And then there was a golden altar where the priest would pour, uh, would make, uh, would petition and praise uh, there at the incense of the golden altar. Did you know that right now he stands between you and God making intercession for you? That right now, while I'm preaching here on the earth, Christ is standing in God's presence, interceding for you and I right now. Right now, not tomorrow. I'm telling you right now because he ever lives to make intercession for you and I. And then there was what's called the Ark of the Covenant where they put the tables of, tablets of stone. You and I know about it. It's that golden box that the angels, their wings spread towards each other. It's there that they called that the mercy seat. The Bible says that the mercy seat is what's called our propitiation. That propitiation God had said to the children of Israel, on the mercy seat's where I'm going to meet you. Did you know on the cross is where he met us when his blood was shed and the atoning sacrifice was made for you and I and today he's both priest who mediates but he's also the sacrifice that's made in your stand I'm telling you I can preach myself happy on a Sunday morning today when I talk about Christ in the tabernacle in the church in the wilderness it had an outer court it had an inner court and it had was most holy place did you know he's the way he's the truth and he is the life no man comes to the father but unless you're coming through him he was the sin offering the Passover lamb and he is the sacrifice on the day of atonement he's the scapegoat that was taken outside the city and all our sin was placed upon him glory to God he was before and he's after he's above and he's not beneath he's the word made flesh and tabernacled among you he was the angel that went in front of them and he was the prophet like unto Moses you will find him in the metals of gold and brass you'll find him in the colors that represented his humanity and his divinity even the final outer covering that was made of badger skins on the outside of the tabernacle it didn't have the beauty of the gold and the silver and the beauty of the tapestry it just had animal skins. Why is that? Because Isaiah prophesied that there was no form or comeliness of his beauty that we should desire him. And it's because the tabernacle witness in the, in, the, in the wilderness was to reveal to the world that there would come a day when Jesus Christ would be revealed to all the world. Glory to God. I thank the Lord today for him today. Our church is the church in the wilderness today. And you know what? We better have Jesus at the core. You may be a visitor here today. I want you to know today it's our hope that whatever we said and did in this place, that Christ was glorified and Christ, Christ would be revealed to you, that Jesus would be revealed through song, through testimony, through fellowship, and certain through the preaching of the Word of God. This is how I feel about him. In him I live. In him I move. And in him I have my very being. Come on. He's all and in all. All things were created by him. And without him there was not anything made that was made. Without him I can do nothing. Right? Without him I can do nothing. I am complete in him. So our corporate worship that we practice to this very day is drawn from the example of the tabernacle of witness, the church in the wilderness. What a beautiful thing that God established it thousands of years ago that we would still have a means of access to the glory of God and to the presence of God. I believe today, today, we as a fellowship ought to rededicate ourselves to the church in the wilderness. To be the church in the wilderness. Now certainly we are ded dedicating ourselves to the Lord. We can be all that he desires us to be. You believe that? Who's coming up today? Is that Brother Darrell? The Lord is good, church family. The old song says all the time. That's right. He's good all the time. He's faithful to you and I. Let's see if we can fold this all together for us just real quickly. I know I've tried to awaken where we were at previously. Preaching means something to me, church family. It probably means more to me than it does to you. I have a desire in my heart 
when I minister the word, not only to reach, but to teach. Sometimes it's to teach even prior to reaching, because that's the heart of a pastor. A shepherd is to teach and encourage and instruct. And I believe that when the writer here, Luke, brings these forward to us in Acts 7, and he said it's the church in the wilderness. The church in the wilderness was unique because the glory of God set it apart. And it was given the people an access to the presence of Almighty God. Now, again, typology, it represented Christ and this and that. And that's a beautiful thing. But just if we could narrow it down, if we could narrow it down, it was, it was accessing. It was obtaining mercy, obtaining forgiveness, and having access to the presence of God. Remember what he said in Exodus 29? He said, there... I will meet with you. That's what I want church to be. I want you, when you come to a corporate worship service, that you know that in this context, you can meet with God. How many of you know that's a a beautiful gift that God's given us to be able to meet with Him, fellowship with Him? As we, I said in the first sermon of the year, I didn't know it was going to take the the, the, the mode and shape that it did it was a year of transition a year of transition and in this we're still feeling the effects of it but if we look back God's always designed it to be transitionary it's always supposed to be able to move everything to follow him can I ask you today to make a new commitment of faith in your heart to the Lord and also to being a part of the body of Christ and the local church that you're a part of, which I hope for you is First Assembly. We always have visitors among us and maybe visiting a family member, but when you go back to your home, to just say, you know what, it needs to be central. You can go online and you can find the tabernacle and they'll, they'll, there's, a, there's a whole other teaching about it that shows it in the valley because in the valley you had, you had the different tribes camped on either side but right there in the heart right there in the center what would happen to this church if we just said man this time this moment that God gives us is central to my life it's critical it's more important than hunting season more important more important than football games it's, it's more important than the, you know, the little things that we kind of layer in our lives. And we just say, these, these moments are given to us by God. And I hope that in any capacity you think I'm trying to manipulate or coerce or anything. That's not how I think. I hope, anyhow. I want us to see the value and see the privileged opportunity that's been given to us as the people of God to follow after the glory of God. To have a testimony that every instrument of the tabernacle was anointed, so can you. You can have an anointing on your life. You can walk through this world saying, I've got a sacred calling upon my life. I think a lot of that comes from just being a part of the church in the wilderness, transitionary, moving, following, in pursuit of. I'm stirred in my heart. I hope you are. Our heads bowed, our eyes closed for just a moment. I don't know what time it is. I know it's been a longer day. It's okay. It's been a beautiful day in the house of the Lord. I'm going to give a twofold invitation. First of all, I've really, really tried to go back over the latter several months and make sure when I close a sermon off that I'm closing it off with giving an invitation for someone who maybe has heard me preach and what I've taught, which is targeting the church typically, but maybe there's somebody who's not made a profession of faith in Christ, who's just not given their heart, whatever terminology, not accepted the Lord, not repented, whatever terminology, but that just says, I want to follow Christ. I want the Lord, I want Jesus to be my Savior. I've sinned against the Lord, but His Spirit is convicting me. Pastor Brown, would you pray with me? If that's you, the only reason that we have our heads bowed and eyes closed, not because we're ashamed of this moment, is we want you to have an opportunity to really check your heart and ask yourself, am I in the faith today? 
Are you in the church in the wilderness? Are you really a part of the kingdom? If that's you, say, Pastor, I'm not. And Pastor Brown, would you pray with me today? I will. I'll give you, if you'll, if you'll have the courage to raise your hand, I'll pray with you right where you're at. Is there anyone today? Anyone today? Anyone at all here today? Thank you, brother. I see the hand. Thank you. Thank you. God bless you today. God bless you. Amen. See a child raising their hand. That's a beautiful thing, isn't it? Secondly today, who here today would say, Pastor Brown, I want our church to be all that God's called us to be. And I, 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 this church in the wilderness follows central. It's, it's got to be central in my life. I want to rededicate. I want to challenge the weaknesses of my life. I'm not saying it's easy. I'm not saying that everything is just cut and dried and you turn it on and turn it off like turn on a light switch. No, I'm not saying that. I'm saying you go through a process of redisciplining yourself and committing yourself so that you, that, that you can just know that this is the center. This is the center. Christ and his church and our worship of him through the body, through the body of Christ as we come together in fellowship to worship Christ, that becomes the center of our life. That's you. Slip your hand up. I see hands going up all across. God bless you today. I think we all share something there, something. I'm not preaching to you. I'm preaching to myself with you today. I'm, I'm ready to challenge areas. Would you all stand up with me today, and we're going to do something. I, I want to ask you to do something, because I'm going to pray, because two people raised their hand, a child and an adult, about professing faith in Christ. I'm going to ask but, but almost everybody, and probably everybody, raised their hand if possible. Would y'all do something this morning on today? I'm a membership Sunday. We brought you in. Would you just step out and come to the front for just a minute? If you say, I just want to renew and dedicate. We're going to pray a prayer of dedication. It's just a renewal of our heart and our life. But before we do, we're going to pray for the person and with the person that lifted their hand about profession of faith. But I, I, there's something about moving forward, transitionary, transitional, moving uh, moving from one stage or state or place. That's what transition means. That We're just moving. We're, God's on the move, and we want to follow him. Teenager, we want you to follow the Lord as we follow the Lord. And so by moving today, you're just stepping out. You're just stepping in. You're stepping into a new season, a new commitment. Uh, I'm not asking you to sign anything. I'm not asking you to do anything. Just be faithful to God. Check your heart. Check your spirit. Check your priorities. Realign your life. Put the, make, make the main thing the main thing. Come on, somebody. Right? Make, the, make what should be first in your life. Make it first. Don't just talk about it. Make it first in your life. Let's let our heads be bowed again. Let's pray together. Because first of all, two individuals raised their hand and said, I want to make Jesus Christ the Lord of my life. Sir, sir, I want you to pray with this prayer with me. Uh, little girl, I want you to pray this prayer with me today. I want you to pray this and believe it. I prayed a prayer similar to this when I was a child, eight years of age. And God through Christ, came into my heart. I prayed, and I said, Dear Lord Jesus, y'all pray this in your heart and believe God with me. You can say it out loud if you choose. Say, Dear Lord Jesus, today I come to you to acknowledge my sin and to ask you to forgive me of my sin and to wash me clean. Today I believe in Jesus Christ. I believe that he lived, he died, he was buried, and was raised again. And he is the Lord of lords. And I confess him. As my savior. I will follow you. All the days of my life. In Jesus name. Paul's right there. God we thank you. Come on somebody. We thank you. That's a simple prayer. But faith is a simple faith. Now listen. That ain't the end. That's the beginning. That's the beginning. That's, the, that's just being birthed. That's all that is. It's the birthing. But if we, that we believe Christ came into your heart by faith, yes. you're going to be a different person from this day forward. You're going to follow him. So I bless them today, God, the individuals that raised their hand. But now I want to pray with my church family on a day. We have a lot of different emotions in our heart today. But today, what a beautiful opportunity to be in your house and to welcome new members. See the life of God. See their energy and their passion and their love for you and to integrate them into this church, Father. And God, I believe that this people, they're too serious with their faith. They wouldn't come down if they didn't mean it. They didn't just come down because somebody else came down. They, they meant it. They, they're here to say, 
Lord, I want the central things. I want what's right, what should be first to be first. So let's pray. Let's pray. That's you. That's you. You came down to say, I'm going to dedicate myself to the Lord. Father God, I, I know we've done this many times over the years. We have dedicated and rededicated. We've drawn ourselves close to you. We have, we have put ourselves in a place of agreement. We've put ourselves in a place where we said, God, I want to. Maybe I've drifted. Maybe I've strayed. Maybe I've become a little bit apathetical. Maybe I became a little bit complacent. Maybe I allowed too many things to enter in and rob me of the, and, and rob that central place in my life. But the tabernacle in the wilderness, the church in the wilderness, reminds me. I learn from it. Make it central. Keep it at the center. Come on, put it at the center of my life. Put it there. So, Father, we dedicate ourselves to you. God, I know that our church is going to go through transitions in the weeks ahead. But, God, as we do so, we're going to follow the glory of God. We're going to follow the glory of God. And we're going to believe, Father, for a fresh visitation of the cloud by nay and fire by night. Glory to God of the presence of Almighty God upon this fellowship. So, Lord, I bless them as they join together with my heart and Sister Sherry and the other leaders of our church as we determine to be the church in the wilderness, to be in pursuit of the living God and obedient to you. So I bless them today. I'm grateful for their love and their fellowship one to the other. It's in Jesus' mighty name we pray. And all God's children said, come on somebody, amen and amen.